Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good morning and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. It is Sunday, the 22nd day of June 2014, and we'll be live here for the next hour. Let me go ahead, and since we've been having hiccups for the past, if you've been following the show, good gosh, past two months. So, I'm going to do a backup recording. Um, Joining me later on in the broadcast will be Robert Wasman of the Journalistic Revolution. He is up at Porkfest right now, and he's going to be giving us some details on that. Also, we'll be Josh Wiley calling in here um, shortly. We don't know when. He's actually in and out of cell service, so he'll be joining the broadcast as well. And he is headed over to Porkfest also. And I am actually bound here in Georgia by a six-month-old daughter, but that doesn't disappoint me at all. It's a lot of fun to hang out with her. Porkfest will probably be next year. And for those of you that don't know about Porkfest, we'll get those guys to fill in kind of what the idea is behind it. It's uh, up in New Hampshire, and um, it's, a, it's a very interesting concept to show how liberty and free exchange of individuals can come together and create a, um, create a marketplace where people will um, exchange goods for different things and not use fiat currency. So the idea and the concepts are great, and we'll be getting the lowdown from both of those guys when they call into the show. So been kind of struggling to figure out what I want the Sunday show to be. Obviously, the Thursday night show is a little bit more hard-hitting. Most of the time, I can get Josh to call in or some other people to call in. I'm actually going to be doing some interviews here coming up in the next coming weeks. Um, a, couple of the, um, a couple of them have been long-time listeners that I have never really had the chance to chat with, but um, after I did, I, um, I found that everybody's got a story to tell, and it's funny that when you go into a a regime like we're under, when we're under this um, regime of empire, or we're under this um, system of control that the United States is, and they and they brand it as something that's freedom, when in reality, we all know that it's it's a bunch of legalese and it's a bunch of nanny state people, and I don't really mean that in a in an offensive way. What what I think is is very important to mention is that we live in a society that actually glorifies people that um, it glorifies people that snitch and it glorifies you know tattling on your neighbor that kind of thing and then what we found is that people will use the weapon of the state in order to if they disagree with you and that's that's one of the things that uh, my father and I talked about a lot this weekend. I got to go down there, and my wife and I are trying to buy a, a home, and we're closing in on it, so it's really, really exciting for us. <clears throat> Obviously, I'm going to get some, some, some flack from some people that understand where, where, my, um, <clears throat> where my thoughts lie on actually owning property and going into debt with the banks and all that good stuff. But sometimes you have to play the game, and so now... We were talking about this over the weekend and about how people will look to the the weapon of the state and the gun of the state in order to in order to push their ideas and their agenda onto the other individuals. And you guys hear me talk about this at nauseum. It's it's authoritarianism. And so, you know, one of the things we're gonna be getting into a little bit later on this morning is that um Rand Paul is as much as I, you know, will like some of his policies and I don't like others and obviously I understand where we're at in this nation state and I think that it's very difficult to say that that Rand Paul can save us 
But Rand Paul actually made some great statements about, um, hey, uh, Congress is making laws that actually go on the books for, for the citizens, but they're exempting themselves. And that is the definition of tyranny, and that's why when, we, when I hear stories like what happened with, um, with one of my guests, and when I hear stories about what happened with my family and what happened with my next-door neighbor, it really does start to resemble something that is, that is going to be a very, very rough ride if we don't start taking personal responsibility for our actions and if we don't start taking responsibility for just being an individual person. I mean, it's very, very difficult, and it looks like we have um, it looks like we have a caller on the line already. And I don't know if this is somebody just calling in to to listen, or if this is somebody calling in. So let me see if I can pull up who this is. Uh, I don't know who this is. So let me pull this caller up real quick, and uh, see if they want to comment on some of the stuff that I've been saying. This is going to be just a hodgepodge, guys. I didn't have a lot of time to put um, put a show together. So if it kind of goes off the rails a little bit. My fault, kind of overwhelmed with all this house stuff. So let me pull this up here. I think I might know who this is. Caller, you are welcome to the radio waves. Um, I guess I'm a caller today, um, but hi, this is Josh Wiley. Nice to talk to you, Jake. Dude, I didn't recognize the number. Holy cow. I'm such a, I'm such a jerk. I'm so sorry. Oh, Happens to uh, the best of us. I mean, I don't, I don't expect Georgians to be familiar with Michigan area codes. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things. I didn't check my cell phone. So, um, but Josh, I was going to get into. Um, well, I guess you and I can talk about this, and, and it's really ironic that you're on the way to Porkfest because this is, in essence, what Porkfest is about. Is the exact opposite of what I'm talking about here in the fact that. People are using the weapon of the state, and they're and, and, and they're glorifying the weapon of the state in order to push um, their own sociological ideas uh, on the populace. So, uh, what would uh, I, I don't know. To, to be honest with you, I think Porkfest at its at its core is an advertisement for an inherently political movement who wishes to use the gun of its state, the gun of the state, to eliminate the gun of the state. Uh, which anyone who has studied critical thinking, rationality, the trivium, uh, knows to be not only an oxymoron, but uh, a terrible way to, to, to go about any kind of you know, societal upheaval or change. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to, to interface with those people, but, but I think that largely you're right in that most of the people there would, would agree with your sentiments, at the very least. Oh, man. And uh, we got some good stuff out. There's a uh, – <clears throat> one of my friends tagged me in a um, – and an application, and here in um, here in in Georgia, we have this public transportation called MARTA, and um, it basically runs all around the uh, in, inner workings of Atlanta. And Josh, they've come up with a new campaign, and an, even a new app to help you be a snitch. So this is a 30-second clip. So everybody enjoy as the as the society that glorifies snitching. And gee, I don't know where all this stuff comes from. Anybody want to say uh, Germany circa 1940, 1938, 1940? Glorifying the idea that you can tattle on your neighbor and you'll be okay. So here we go. This is a guy with a package. And it's another black guy with a hat. You see something suspicious. But you don't want to get involved. The guy putting down a backpack. If you see something, say something. Download the Marta CNSA app today. There you go. So there you go. And and I really wish that you could see the video, Josh, because the video is worth a billion words. So what happens is it's this white guy in a fedora who's about seventy years old puts a package down on the on the subway. And then turns around and, and basically is about to walk off. Could just be a guy that you know might have Alzheimer's and doesn't know where the hell he is. But uh, luckily, the no, old people are terrorists. Absolutely. And then the black guy in a suit with a, another fedora on. It must be like a hat thing. Like if you wear a hat, you got to be a terrorist. So he comes down and he puts down his backpack and then um, puts his backpack down on a bench and then kind of looks around and then walks off. So. If you leave anything, and then you got the two good snitches in the society, both with smartphones that um, take a picture of the person and then upload it to Marta Security. So this is it, man. This is the the Orwellian type of world we're living in, where it's, 
hey, you know, be, make sure that you keep an eye on everybody else that's a citizen and don't look at what government's doing because they're the ones that are keeping you safe. Well, I mean, it's funny that you play that ad right now um, because I'm in, I'm in New York uh, at the moment, but I had to drive through Ohio, obviously, to get to this point. And all throughout the state of Ohio, there are signs that say uh, they've got a number, and it says, call if you see or witness drug-impaired activity on the road. Uh, I mean, first of all, it's like, how could you discern whether or not the, the, the driver is, is indeed impaired by drugs or, or a legal substance? Um, but yeah, it's it's this idea of, uh, of of reporting on your neighbors, you know, uh, and this kind of uh, it is. It's a very uh, uh, circa 1938, 1939 Nazi Germany atmosphere. I, I think that the phrase uh, "if you see something, say something" is very interesting in and of itself. I recently watched a special uh, with magician Darren Brown, where he tries oh, and successfully does so. Sorry. That's that's my boy, and I forgot to put that in the last. Um, I forgot to put that in my CIA mind control um, show cliff notes. I did the. Um, he did. Oh, a, so you have seen it? Oh, the one where he programs the guy to kill the dude. Yeah, uh, to, yeah, to, uh, stage killing to prove uh, Sirhan Sirhan's innocence, and it goes off yep. without a hitch in a very scientific manner. But one of the things that he said in that uh, in that special when he's talking about hypnosis is that uh, idioms and, and uh, you know, words that start with the same sound and kind of rhyme are, uh, are, are very important for getting kind of the, the complacent state and, and gaining the, the trust and, and, and compliance of your victim. So the phrase, if you see something, say something, has this kind of hypnotic uh, idiom or rhythm to it. And like I, don't think that that is, uh, I don't think that's a, a secret or a, an accident, excuse me. No, and it's it's like rhyme time. That's real. That's really um. And, and you know, you're. I, I guess it's um. When I when I took golf lessons when I was uh, 16 or 17, I used to take from an instructor who's probably the best one I had, because he he came up with um. He used to call it um um lessons that rhyme, and so he would always make some kind of rhyme about you know your golf swing if you're doing X Y and Z, you need to you need to rhyme it with something else so you can remember it. And I think that that's a very good point, man. When we're talking about the the idea that society is now shifting to this to this uh, to this notion, and as we see it populated all over Fox News, as we see it populated all over the mainstream media, the terrorists are everywhere, and the terrorists are going to hit. And remember, Lindsey Graham said a new 9/11 is coming. It's not if, but when, and it's coming from this region. So we need to be ready to react in this region when it happens. These are the people that perpetrated it. So. I think that it's you know it's becoming very scary in the fact that there is a large portion of the population, I would say about 40 percent, and this is me just pulling a number out of my butt, but I would say about 40 percent of the population is in this rhyme time sleep-like state where they would be very susceptible to the programming. Let's um, talk about that, um, that uh, documentary you watched really quickly because I think it's interesting for us to, to kind of cover that. Do you remember yeah, well, looking where he was looking for the actual person that was going to be easily programmable, and he found out that it was the guy that basically watched a bunch of television? Yeah, essentially. And, and you can – I hate to be insulting to the individual in the program because, you know, it's such an eye-opening experience that, that I'd hope that, that this, the individual in question, you know, might, might have started to, to, to question some of his activities or the way – you know, he processed information. Um, but it was kind of scary to think because he truly did look like a blank slate. Uh, yeah, he, just, just very quiet, unassuming, doe-eyed, uh, almost this, this perpetual state of naivete. Uh, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's a state of, of, of mental adolescence, which you're correct, many, many Americans, and not just Americans, but specifically this country because we, you know, live in it. Uh, but many Americans are in this state already. So, you know, when, if we relate this all back to, to the works of people like Aldous Huxley or, or, um, or, or all Gordon Wasson or Edward Bernays, all of these famous propagandists, mm-hmm. uh, they essentially said that, you know, there is direct hypnosis, which the CIA experimented on in things like MK, Naomi, Artichoke, and Ultra. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it is possible to replace the hypnotist, a, a person, with a, with a technological uh, kind of implement. And television uh, has, has served that role for a very long time. Uh, obviously, we're, we're kind of seeing a transition to, to, to that sphere widening 
to other kind of technologies. But yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't think it's without or out of the realm of possibility at all. In fact, I think there's a, a great deal of evidence to suggest that that is the case. And to me, it's <clears throat> to me it's kind of frightening in the fact that we have um, we have people that are so susceptible to to this this programming that they don't even really they don't really think on their own anymore. And you like like you said, it's the blank slate. But I also think it's the and and I think you'll agree with me on this. And we talk about this a lot, you know, off air. But I think it's the it's the it's the the means of the repetition too. You know, when they hear it, and if you watch Fox News or if you watch, you know, <clears throat> if you watch CNN, they're always going to repeat the same kind of talking point about certain issues, whether it's the um, what's the, the the radical extreme Muslims are going to attack you. We need to, you know, we need to do preemptive strikes and we need to have preemptive war to to save ourselves. Which, if you think about that once again, using the trivium, it, it sounds absolutely ludicrous. It's like, wait a minute, we have to go to war to stop war that hasn't happened yet. So I, I think that the, the repetition also from the propaganda is what, um, is what really delves into people's mind. And then what happens is it becomes uh, – it's kind of – it's exactly like 1984. It's just um, you know, who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the peasant controls the past. And we see that um, people like – Dick Cheney and and all these other guys that said that we had to go invade, you know, because of weapons of mass destruction, and that was repeated at nauseum over over the mainstream media, and then the American public went along with it, and then it turns out that they didn't have weapons of mass destruction. Then, then it's kind of a, and then they kind of circle back and say, well, they had the potential to do it, and then everybody buys into it because. Uh, Americans have this idea that they don't want to be, or not Americans, just humans in general. We have this idea that we can't be, we can't be wrong. And I think that that's um, something that, as you as you get up the intellectual la- ladder, you start to realize that a lot of things that you you thought were were wrong. And the more that you question those ideas on the very front end that you thought you had, the predetermined notions, that's when you start having a real knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny that, that you relate, or more apropos that you relate the, the situation at hand to uh, the, the, w, the WMD crisis supposedly uh, in Iraq uh, in, in 2003, uh, because I don't know if you've noticed, but there are a number of mainstream news websites now pushing the idea that Saddam actually did have secret chemical weapons caches that American soldiers did not find uh, during Iraqi uh, Operation Iraqi Liberation, later changed to Operation Iraqi Freedom because the acronym OIL probably didn't suit them very well, or maybe it did. I don't know. Um, at least it didn't suit the American public very well. They got a little bit upset about that, so maybe not all of them were sleepwalking. Um, but kind of positing this theory that these these ISIS soldiers in northern Iraq have have gotten their hands on this stuff, and the only thing you know that that or one of the large things that, that could lead the American people kind of down this primrose path is exactly what you said, Jake. You know, the, this idea of repetition, this idea of hypnosis. And, and you know, it, when we're watching television, it's based on, you know, this, this kind of hand motions and repeated phrases. These are key elements of hypnosis. And I know that this sounds... This might sound a little out there to, to some people who are listening, but uh, there, uh, professional hypnotists are very good at their job, and I'm not saying it works on everyone. Clearly it does not, um, but, but there are people out there who are very susceptible to this. And, and once again, if you watch the Darren Brown documentary, which I will put into this, um, the show notes for this show, everybody, so hang tight for that. It um, he goes through it and he says that you know there's a lot of people that aren't susceptible to hypnosis and then out of a hundred what is it a hundred people he starts out with or two hundred I can't remember and then I, I think it's five actually okay, it was a pretty well, large sample size maybe it was a hundred and then he narrows it down eighteen people and then he keeps going through you know routine tests and stuff like that some of the things like where he makes the people sit in the ice bucket. And the one guy sits in there for – he sits in there for like, what, 14 minutes, and he's still sitting yeah, in there? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and, and still- yeah, I mean, just things that are impossible to, to do if you, were, if you were actually just playing along. Right, exactly, unless you, unless you had some, you know, some severe uh, diversion to, to cold or something like that. And I don't think that the people that set up that experiment are that, um, are that quick to, you know – 
oh, we'll just pick this guy and he can, you know, we'll we'll heat the tub up, but we'll put ice cubes in there. It's not really that at all. As the um, as the thing kind of progresses, and what's weird, Josh, is that it really does parallel to things like um, what you read in the in the reports about um, about MK Ultra, where they would just be sitting there and having a nice casual conversation with somebody. The phone would ring. They would have a nice casual conversation with the person on the phone. And then they would say, like, New York or whatever, and they would just snap into a different personality, go into the bathroom, have a conversation with a guy, exchange bags with him, come back, and they would say another key phrase, and the person would just basically zone out again. And it really does look like it. It's absolutely bizarre. So, actually, I yeah, think we have I mean, – we got Robert on the line, but go ahead and finish your thought. I just wanted to say, if anyone is more interested uh, in researching the, the topic of MKUltra mind control, I, I guess on a more academic level – uh, I highly suggest you, they check out the work, the work of uh, Dr. Colin Ross, um, who is uh, uh, oh geez, he's a psychiatrist uh, who is actually one of the co-authors of the DSM-4. He's the guy who ter- coined the term multiple personality disorder, which was later changed to dissociative identity disorder. Explain uh, it. And and he four is. Sorry. Some people don't clarify what the DSM-4 is. Some people might not know. Uh, the DSM-4 is essentially the diagnostic manual of, of psychiatry. Okay. Um, so, that, I mean, he, he's clearly a very well-respected uh, psychiatrist within his field, although he recognizes that, that the, the molecular, biological, genetic model of psychiatry is, is incredibly flawed and, and, and that, that diseases should be more... Uh, you know, they're, they're not chemical dysfunctions in, in every case, right? Um, mm-hmm. but, but his work focuses largely on not only investigating MKUltra, Naomi, uh, artichoke, things of this nature, but also uh, re- he runs uh, a series of clinics that deal specifically with, uh, with, with treating uh, victims of, of either um, CIA or military, sometimes even satanic cults, and if you... Uh, are, are up on your, your research, you'll know that those things are essentially one and the same. Sure. Uh, but it, these, these victims of mind control programs, many of whom have multiple personalities or personalities that are programmed to either be incredibly racist or incredibly sexist or, or violent. Uh, some of them are couriers of information. And this, this stuff has been going on at, on a documentable level, at the very least, since World War II. Uh, when I forget the, the name of this gal, but she was a pinup girl, um, a very famous pinup girl for the Army in World War II. Uh, and uh, after, the, after the war, OS, the, the remnants of OSS that later formed the CIA actually used her in one of the progenitors to these experiments and successfully create two or three additional personalities. And her name is Candy Jones, by the way. So if you look her up, uh, you'll find a, a very interesting rabbit hole. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll link to all this stuff as well in the show notes. Josh has just increased my bibliography today by about fourfold, and you know, just adding him to the call. So, hold on one second, Josh. I'm going to bring up Mr. Robert Wasman and see if he wants to chat about this and about Porkfest. Um, Robert Wasman of the Journalistic Revolution, you are on the air, sir. Welcome to the airwaves. Hello, sir. We have just arrived at Rogers Campground in New Hampshire at Porkfest. Oh, man. Did you guys drive all night? Uh, yes, and we had a little mini crisis where um, the, the honey guys, Mark and Scott, who are on the, you know, carrying a lot of our merchandise and supplies, uh, had a blowout, and we had to turn around to go get them. Oh, man. Everybody made it, though, right? Yeah, they're on their way. Um, they're good to go, and uh, we, we just arrived. They should be arriving later this evening, and... Uh, yeah, man, it, we've got it all documented. You'll see it in the documentary. Yes, sir. All right, so um, um, there is a – I get a credit in there for equipment, right? I get a credit in the documentary oh, equipment? You get, a, you get a credit anyway, sir. <laughs> all right, well, um, everybody, Robert Wiseman of the Journalistic Revolution, who just arrived at Porkfest, and as we were just talking to Josh Wiley, who's still on the line with us, he is, um, he is on his way currently to Porkfest. And um, Robert, why don't you um, Josh touched on it briefly, um, his idea of what Porkfest is, is and what it's becoming. And um, and I talked about at the beginning of the show um, how we're seeing a, a transition of the uh, American culture from being a, a bunch of rugged individualists to basically minding their own damn business 
to everybody being in everybody's business and then using the weapon of the state to enforce things that they believe that you should be doing uh, on, in your day-to-day basis. And I've got um, one of our listeners that was telling me about a, uh, a lawsuit that he's going under, not really a lawsuit, but uh, some squabbles that he's having with the local municipalities. And I'm going to get him on the show to, to share his story and some other stuff. But um, I, I was basically saying, Robert, that Porkfest is about the exact opposite. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I haven't been before, so I don't really okay. know what to expect. Oh, okay. But from what uh, people have told me uh, from their experience, what it is is it's it's a little mini temporary community uh, for you know anarchist voluntarists and people who just basically believe that you know you should be free. And uh, uh, oh, terrorists! Really, I think my only yeah, yeah, you know, mental terrorists and. Uh, uh, really, what I'm expecting is a, a is just a really free flow exchange of ideas and philosophies and such. Okay, um, Josh, would you um, care to substantiate the um, the ideas of what Robert's saying that Porkfest might be? Yeah, I mean, having been before, I can say that it is uh, kind of an experimental anarchic community. Um, I mean, I guess it's it's inspiring to see that people, you know, kind of can exchange without taxation or, or force or, and can use multiple currencies. That, that part of it is very inspiring. But as an actual pragmatic implementation of what, you know, kind of an anarchic community would, would be organized like, uh, it's, excuse my French, but kind of a piss-poor example in the sense that, you know, the, all of your, your goods, services that are being supplied there uh, rely on external inputs from a statist society. Uh, sure. which is the case for every anarchic example, probably throughout history. So, so Porkfest is, uh, is, is, you know, simply another one of those examples, only it, uh, it is not an attempt to be permanent. Uh, well, that's understandable, but it's, it's the idea, I think, that, um, that people don't the weapon of the state, and I guess that that's what attracts um, so many people that – that are all on the, um, I would guess that are on similar wavelengths to all three of us in the fact that, you know, we don't need the weapon of the state to, to settle disputes, especially um, petty disputes. Here's a, here's a prime example of um, a petty dispute that I had, um, that I encountered. Now, this is all secondhand, so everybody just kind of bear with me. But um, I live on a cul-de-sac, and we got some, um, and one of my neighbors uh, said that they were out and, um, they were having a disagreement with their with their cousin or whatever, so they went outside because they got a couple of couple of younger kids and they didn't want to you know have grown up talk in front of the kids. So the conversation got a little heated. One of the other neighbors comes outside and tells them to to basically be quiet and you know keep it down. And they basically told them to go back inside. And so the neighbors start like freaking out and then call the police on these people. And then they're you know probably celebrating in their house because they called the cops and they feel like they've done something. When in reality, they've just basically wasted all of our tax dollars, and um, and once again, it's something that they can't go over and just kindly and politely talk to their neighbor. It's this, it's this idea that that we can't have a communication. Uh, we have to have a communication referee between us when it comes to a situation that escalates. So, um, what what would you guys say that um, if if there was a dispute that went on at Porkfest? How do you think the dispute would be solved? I guess would be a, a good way to ask that question. Uh, I'll go to um, I'll go to Josh first. You've been there, and then we'll go to Robert, and then we'll we'll kind of chat about that. Um, well, I guess it just depends on on the the dispute. Uh, luckily, violence uh, really can't occur at Porkfest simply because there's kind of this mutually assured destruction theory going on. Uh, the, the 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 lion's share of the of the people there are armed or around people who are armed and in many cases proficient with, with these arms. So the, the means of physical self-defense, at the very least, are, are very prevalent within Porkfest, and, and they are decentralized, although I find it uh, kind of interesting that there is kind of a faux police force at, at Porkfest uh, that is organized by uh, the, 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 the event staffers themselves, and it could be termed something like a, like a privatized police force, which anarcho-capitalists, I guess, would be okay with. Sure. Um, but, I, I mean, in, in terms of dispute resolution, uh, I, I've actually never had to witness that, luckily. I know that they have had problems in the past with theft, um, and, and some of these people were not caught. So that, that kind of tells you, I think, the, the overwhelming ethos of the event itself in that, you know, if these things happen, 
sometimes they happen. And if there is no centralized structure uh, to get to the bottom of this stuff or there is not, you know, kind of an active core of people who, who are motivated to do so, in an Arctic society, a lot of times, you know, people who commit crimes get away with them. So, yeah. Now, um, Robert, what would you um, what would you say in an ideal um, voluntaristic um, anarcho-capitalist society, if if you were going to Porkfest and you had um, a dispute, let's say over um, uh, what, like you said, stolen property, let's say that, how would you how would you um, envision this goes down with a bunch of people that think like uh, that think like we do? How would you envision this would go down? Well, I, funny enough, I actually had this discussion with someone the other day. I was in a debate with a liberal, and uh, he was asking me how that would take place. And the way I would envision it is I would envision it a lot like a jury system, except without a judge to overrule their decision. Um, you know, there, there would be – it would have to be voluntary, um, you know, the, both the jury, the, the, the defendant, if you will, and the prosecutor, if you will. Um, would all have to agree that this is going to be the um, the, the the end all be all resolution to the dispute, um, and then you know evidence would have to be presented as, as such, and then the, the the and when when I say a jury too, I I mean by definition a jury of your peers, both their friends and your friends, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and it would have to be uh, set forth, and you know, and in a way that you're presenting the facts, the evidence, you're being logical, you're trying to be devoid of all logical fallacies, and, mm-hmm. um, and then be willing to accept the, the outcome of the resolution. So I guess it really goes back to without, you know, um, a critical thinking and moral uh, group of people, it, it wouldn't be possible. And yeah, I would ag- so, so, so you would say... Um, it would be more like a uh, an early Roman kind of idea where you would have a um, a jury system kind of like that, and each person would represent themselves in this uh, tribunal, so to speak. Well, I guess they could. They they they. Oh, sorry, someone trucks coming by. But um, I I I guess people could appoint an arbitrator for them. Uh, you know, someone to uh, who may be better versed at being able to present facts or such, or stay more logical. But mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that uh, there would not be lawyers as we know them today. Oh, okay, fair enough. And Josh, what, what would you like to add? You um, you were wanting to say something. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that you know I'm incredibly, as a preface, I'm incredibly uh, sympathetic to the ideals of anarcho-capitalism. Um, but I, I do believe, and I think that Robert would agree with this. Uh, but that's kind of the, the anarcho-capitalistic, pie-in-the-sky, Stephen Molyneux-esque argument for how this society could be organized. And if it could be organized in that capacity, that would be wonderful. Um, but there, there, there has to be an element of force um, by any kind of, of, of arbitration body, right? Or else uh, there, what stops an individual who is convicted of a crime who clearly does not value the same principles or morals that, that you might, um, to stop that person from, from simply not complying with the ruling if there is no, uh, no ability to, to conduct force on the other end, right? Now, some people have, uh, have suggested that there could be some kind of, you know, private police force on, on, on that end that would have to be supported economically only by people who sign up for it. Uh, others have presented a thesis where, you know, these arbitration systems would uh, align themselves with, with local stores so these individuals could, could no longer buy things when they went into these stores. But that really starts to broach uh, this, this kind of panopticon-esque system that would need to be in place to enforce that in the here and now. Uh, and I, I don't know, I think that, you know, as Robert would say, these are, I guess, some of the, uh, the, some of the inputs necessary that you need to work through in critical thinking because we have to remember that the trivium, while a wonderful tool for, for sorting out fallacies and, and finding that which exists, it is only a tool. It relies on, on constant, being fed by constant inputs of new information. Uh, so it's this kind of information that we have to take into account uh, when we're thinking about setting up a society like this. And again, I, I, I'm very sympathetic to the ideal, and I would love to be able to support only what I, what I want to support with, with my own money. I don't think that is anyone else's uh, business, quite frankly. 
Um, but but this is uh, this is not a utopian system uh, by by any means. Uh, I just want to make that clear for people. In fact, it, it may very well be uh, a, a far more crime-ridden society. But at the very least, as anarcho-capitalists would argue, and I would tend to agree, that crime would be decentralized. Okay. Or, now, or more decentralized. <laughs> well, I mean, we're we're coming onto a into a good discussion here because it, it's taking it away from the idea that the the state will be the referee, and I think that that's what the three of us are running into now is that we see what happens when the state becomes a referee. We see what happens or what can happen in a society where you have agents of the state that are hired by and, and bound by the state, you know, AKA attorneys that, that are there to represent you. And then just like um, one, one of our listeners is going through now, he's going through an, a, a, a municipality that's basically got the system rigged against him. Um, the, the court the police department and the um, and the county commissioners are all in the same like little strip center. So he he understands that he's not going to get a fair trial, that everything's going to be in cahoots. And I think that that's one of the reasons, just to preference the listeners, why we need to have these debates about um, alternative ways of doing things. Because what's happening now is that the state is coming in to be not only the referee but the enforcement arm, and sometimes they're even skipping the step of being the referee. And they're just going straight to the enforcement arm, as we see all the time with with cops, you know, taking the liberty upon themselves to beat people, to uh, execute people while they're in handcuffs. I mean, that's skipping the step of actually having a trial. And then, <clears throat> of course, the agents of the state, aka the police, will come in and all because they're told to do this. You know, everybody get in line. You know, everybody support what this guy did because you know you never know when it could be you that's on trial for something that could be a little bit sketchy. And so now we're running into a society that's becoming increasingly more corrupt. And what Rand Paul said last week, and once again, not that I glamorize Rand Paul or anything, but he says that um, – I'm going to just read this little quote from him. He says that they pass 100-page bills that no one has read. He goes, no one should ever pass a bill that hadn't been read. That's actually just using logic. It has nothing to do with anything beyond that. And he said Congress routinely passes laws they exempt themselves from. Over time, many politicians become distant and distance themselves from their constituents, constituents, and that's what we're seeing over and over and over again, like the, um, the emails and not to get into the, the political right-left paradigm. But when, but when somebody like Lois Lerner that persecutes the Tea Party and goes after the Tea Party and um, goes after them financially, and this is exactly what Nixon got – uh, impeached for, but yet for a very, very small portion of it. And now the emails go missing, and it was through a. They had a raid backup for anybody that understands IT or community or um, computers in general. To to remove emails from a raid backup, you would have to go in and actually either physically destroy the raid files themselves because they're there for a mirrored backup. It is. Nothing more than having the evidence on your hard drive or the information on your hard drive being absolutely duplicated into another drive that's exactly like it, and it's encrypted so there's no way that it can get hacked. And it's just very, very odd to see this, and now everybody's just kind of accepting it and moving along with it, and I think that that's why we need to have how we can either dial the government back in or just – the um, alternatives that people can get behind altogether. What would you guys say to that, Robert? What would you say? And I'm, I know I'm sorry. You... I'm sorry. Jake, Jake, this is a wonderful discussion, and Robert, I really look forward to seeing you later this evening, but I'm going to have to let you guys go. So, you know, keep, keep, uh, keep having a very stimulating conversation. I'm sure our listeners are gaining, or your listeners are gaining a lot from it. Uh, I hope so, man. And uh, good luck with that GPS, and uh, I'll, look for, um, I'll look for good things from both of you guys when you leave Porkfest. I want to hear all about it. We'll have a, we'll have a big roundtable discussion about it when you guys uh, check out of there. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. See you, gentlemen. See you, Josh. See you, uh, man. Got to go here in a minute, too. So um, <clears throat> what would you say to all that stuff that I just threw at you? <laughs> well, it was a lot. Uh, but first, real quick, I want to touch on Josh's thesis about how an anarcho-capitalistic society would deal with um, uh, dispute resolution. And um, it, it's kind of a catch-22, because you're right, there would have to be some sort of arbitrating force, but I think it would be more localized. The smaller communities would, of course, voluntarily, voluntarily agree on how these things are going to be kept. And then the catch-22 is, is, like, let's say someone from one community steals uh, from that community, and then because it's smaller communities, he can easily jump over to the next community 
without mm-hmm. having to uh, deal with the punishments of the other community. Sure. You, you know, so you run into kind of a catch-22. The, uh, yeah, you're going to have voluntary agreements between uh, small communities, but of course there's no overreaching federal government, so people are going to be able to find loopholes and slip through the cracks. Right. Um, as so as far as, expect, you know, this corrupt system expect. on that you touched on, mm-hmm. uh, I would have to say that uh, it's not self-sustaining and it, it, it'll, it'll crash on its own because when you wrong too many people, um, they lose trust in you. And, uh, and, and as we can tell from events like Portfest and, um, you know, the fact that we are not cattle exists and journalistic revolution exists, um, we are not scared of them anymore. No, and I think that we're becoming increasingly more popular because what we, you know, even if you, what you just described basically pushed us back to the Articles of Confederation, and it really doesn't, we don't need an overreaching federal government. And I think that what we're finding and that what history teaches time and time again is that a, a big overarching federal government is the biggest danger to, to liberty and freedom of the individual. And the only way that it can typically progress uh, as a as societal um, as a societal um, I guess acceptable arbitrating force is typically where the government takes over all power, all authority, and and it, you become enslaved, and that's one of the things that we all fight against. So I know you I know you got to run, man. Plug your stuff for us where people can find the documentary, what's it gets done, and then uh, enjoy yourself at Porkfest. Oh yeah. Well, I'm Robert Wazen. You can listen to me over at the jrevradio.com. Uh, I have the Journalistic Revolution Roundtable discussion on Wednesdays, and then we also have Sunday nights, which is more of a re- relaxed weekend review. Uh, Portfest, the documentary, or uh, Portfest, the experience, will be up on our YouTube page uh, of the same name, Journalistic Revolution. Uh, we will be giving it away for free, but if you would like extra content or full, full interviews that you weren't able to see in the documentary, we will have options to buy those at a later date. That's great. How dare you uh, express capitalistic views on this show? How dare you? Well, and for the, the man who sells the truth, which is why it'll be given away free first. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you're telling me that uh, you're telling me that Al Gore sold the truth. I mean, he you know to be aware of uh, of Al Gore and uh, paying 19.99 for an inconvenient truth. Yes, I am telling you that anybody who sells the truth, you should definitely be wary of them. Absolutely. Well, enjoy yourself at Porkfest, man. Say hi to everybody, and um, we look forward to the documentary. I look forward to having you on the show to give us a, a full wrap-up of what you guys went through, your experiences, your first take. Um, and so uh, we look forward to all that. Have a great time, brother, and be safe. All right, Jake. You have a good one. Thanks, man. There he goes, Robert Wasman of the Journalistic Revolution. So we got about 15 minutes left, so I can actually get into a, a little bit of this news here. And... Um, once again, I was trying to figure out what the Sunday show is going to be. I guess it should be a week in review, uh, maybe a little bit of mixture like that. I think I'm going to try to turn it into more of a call-in show because I think that should be able to have an easier time getting people on the on the air Sunday mornings rather than uh, in the middle of the middle of the week, Wednesday or Thursday night, whenever it typically runs. I'm sorry I ran the show on Wednesday last week, but I uh, had to make some adjustments because I had some other stuff going on. So anyway, let's talk. What we're seeing from the federal government, what we're seeing from um, people in general, is an overall – and it's like what Rand Paul said. It's an overall disconnect from the political class to the, the actual constituents. And you know what? It's probably a lot of the fault is on the constituents because they get sold a bill of goods by uh, flashy TV advertisements, uh, nice little banner ads, uh, speeches – those types of things, and they don't do their own due diligence. So I think that what we're in in currently is a is a mixture of people being lazy, and people not doing the research on the candidate, understanding what the candidate is all about. And once again, if we're going to work within the system to change the system, not to let the system fall on its face, because typically what will happen is if you have a disillusion of a government like this, or if you have an implosion of a government like this, they will typically become very, very violent, and they will try to hang on to their death throes of power. And um, I think that we could all agree that all, um, a lot of those – not all, but I, I, the majority of those people in Congress will do anything that they can to get votes and secure their little political power because they're egomaniacal also because they have fallen in love with the perks that come with being a, um, a senator or a, a, um, a House member or a congressman or whatever you want to call it, whatever – 
kind of title they want to see. And it's shifting towards a more nobility slash a um, Indian type caste system where we have the noble class or the, the elitist class, and then we have the po- politics class, and then we'll have the middle class and then the lower class of citizens. And so that's where society becomes very, very divided, and it becomes very dangerous because typically what will happen is the – and this is just speaking from history – the political class, which is typically run by the um, – and I know I'm saying typically a lot, people, so just hang in there with me. The political class is run by the the um, the elitist class, more than likely. Every society that you run into, why? Because they've got the money. They can fund you. They can support your campaign. They can make sure that you win elections, yada, yada, yada. They will typically, once again, typically, sorry, they will almost every time fund the lower class to sick themselves on the middle class because that's the easiest common denominator. Once again, we talk about human psychology a lot on this show and understanding that the easiest motivator, especially after your 50,000 hours of uh, public schooling, the easiest motivator for most people is emotion, especially when you look at it from a a, uh, neoliberal model where they – where they want everything to be fair, they want everything to play nice, and it just doesn't work like that because what will happen is if you have too much sympathy, and not to, be, not to be rude or crude, if you have too much sympathy for the people that don't pull their own weight, then it just brings down society. Unless you try to elevate the people on the lower class or the people that have, um, have um, I guess, don't have the same um, – opportunities as other people the only way that you can elevate that class is by giving them more opportunities it's not by giving them goodies not by giving them ideas that um, a utopian society will exist if only we can just sick those evil rich people because as i just told you Rand paul just says that that a lot of these elitists aka congressional people are exempting themselves from these laws that they're writing so we're running to this quagmire of the political class, a.k.a. the elitist class, versus the middle and lower class. And like I said, the lower class will always gravitate to destroy the middle class, and it's no fault of their own. It's just the propaganda that comes along. So now we're in an age of very, very slick propaganda. You guys heard the piece of Marta that I said – or that I played at the beginning of the show. And once again, I'll post the video. Please watch the video because it is – it's terrifying for somebody like myself watching that video buy into it because it, it touches a lot of emotional high points. This guy could be scary. You could be the hero, and that's what they're trying to put into your head is that by you tattling on your neighbor or by you calling the weapon of the state to come and investigate somebody that you're going to be the hero. And that's why we see all of these movies that are, that are heroin-based, that are always funded by the Department of Defense – and any kind, there's a tragic movie like what Josh and I talked about before on the last show, whether it's Jurassic Park, whether it's these, you know, these, uh, these soldier movies, One Soldier Left Behind or whatever Mark Wahlberg's movie was. They're funded by the Department of Defense to give you this, number one, to give you the hero mentality so that every American has this subconscious connection to the hero and they want to be the hero. And then when the government presents you an opportunity to be the hero, that's when you're supposed to take the bait and act. And so that's why these, these ideas of tattling on your neighbor, rather than confronting somebody, rather than you know, being, a, being a true citizen of your, of your nation state – once again, I don't believe in nation states, but for the, for the sake of argument, we're going to use it here – or your community. We'll just use the word community. So instead of being a real hero for your community and going and confronting that person that leaves the package, you're supposed to cower in fear, use your mobile device, which tracks and traces you everywhere that you go and sells your data to uh, every company under the sun so that they can target market you with propaganda so that you can buy their products. So think about how deep this little rabbit hole or paradigm goes. Instead of you being a real citizen, you become a, a messenger of the state or a slave of the state, and the state is the, the caretaker the, or the one that keeps you safe. And um, that's what we run into, and we talk about it a lot from a psychological standpoint, whereas the right wing typically looks at the government as the enforcement arm, as dad, where dad's going to come in and save the day. Dad's going to go use force to create discipline with the al-Qaeda jihadis. 
and um, and then you have a neoliberal perspective where the liberals look at um, at the state as somebody that's the arbiter of uh, justice and the arbiter of um, making people equal in the eyes of of the law. Where that's w- not what this country was founded on. That's not what any kind of sustain about. It will never be about equal outcome because if you look for equal outcome and push for equal outcome, it it crushes the idea of success because it doesn't matter how hard you work. If everybody's outcome is going to be equal at the end of the day, why should you work hard? And that's why the society will collapse. That's why socialism typically never works, and that's why socialism and, and communism are always funded by the elitist class because it brings the most wealth to them because they understand. They don't buy into the propaganda of – We'll just all have equal outcome, and we'll divide this stuff up ev- evenly. No, no. They sit at the top, and they say, you guys divide it evenly above, among the middle class and, and, the, and the poor. And so what happens is the poor will typically buy into it, and once again, as soon as the, the lower class becomes a, a larger and larger number, the middle class starts to be being eaten away at because they don't have the ability, once again, because the elitist class in Congress exempt themselves from the laws – so who has to flip the bill and it's the middle class? And I'm sorry to give everybody a rudimentary geopolitical breakdown on Sunday morning, but we have to understand what, what we're up against. And admit that there's a problem, number one. That should be our first goal as a society is to admit the fact that, hey, this is a problem. Now, there's going to be two ways that we can progress. And progress is not typically a bad word, but the 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 extreme left has co-opted progressive into meaning authoritarian or to meaning communistic or to meaning um, socialistic. And, um, you know, for, for everybody out there that loves socialism, guess what? We're almost a socialist country anyway, and, and we're collapsing. So what has that done for us? I mean, if you're a communist, look, we've almost got everything that the communist manifesto, if you're a Marxist communist, we almost got everything that the communist manifesto um, request on us. We have a graduated income tax. We have a central bank. We, I mean, come on. Well, now we have control of health care through the state. So we see where this goes. You can see the ideas of socialism, communism all over the world, once again, typically funded by the oligarchs in order for them to maintain power while we sit here and squabble over the scraps. And, and they make millions and millions of dollars through government contracts and special interest deals. And so it's not rocket science. So you either have this, where we're going to keep going down this road of more reliance on the state, more power to the state. The state will protect us. The state will do this. The state will do that. And uh, I heard a great interview, and I'll see if I can stir it up on, um, on, uh, on the web and, and place it in here for you guys. And it was uh, with who was a managing editor or a managing partner of, of Mitt Romney's firm, and he talked about – the idea of the citizenry believing that since the state controls things that the government would never let X, Y, and Z happen. And I think that when you look at it at a philosophical level, some people look at a as an entity that exists outside of society. And I know that that sounds very odd, but stay with me. When you would ask somebody who receives food stamps where that money comes from, They're not going to tell you it comes from the taxpayers. They're not going to tell you it comes out of your pocket. They're not going to tell you that it comes out of anybody that gets taxed over a certain bracket. They're going to tell you it comes from the government. Like somehow magically there's this entity that exists outside of society that's making this money somewhere else and that they get to give it away for free with no strings attached. So that's one of the things that we have to overcome is to accept the fact that government – it's just a group of people. It's a gang, if, if you want to look at it in a, in a very strict sense of the definition of a gang. It's a group of people bound together with a common cause. That's what it is. Uh, just like the, the police force is a gang. Um, cops, and I hate, to, I hate to break it to you, you guys are in a gang, whether you believe it or not. By the definition of the term, you're a gang. Granted, you're sworn in by the state or whatever they give you you know uniforms and badges imagine if there was like um or imagine al-qaeda they're they're a gang and they have uniforms too and so it, it's the same concept and i think that when we talk about a voluntaristic or an anarcho um 
an anarchist society, and once again, anarchy not meaning chaos like the media spends it to you. Anarchy meaning that um, you don't have any rulers or there are no masters, that everybody, the individual, would be the master. I think that the more we push towards that idea of society, the, and of course, this is not going to happen overnight. This will probably happen over generations, and, and heck, maybe I'm just a, a couple of generations early. I, I don't know. But I think that Thoreau said it best is that um, eventually once humans figure out or once individuals figure out that the individual has power, that there will, there will be no more state. But um, it has to come first. The knowledge has to come first that, that what these individual entities are and how that gangs can form and then by people, typically psychopaths or sociopaths, utilizing the gang mentality – and utilizing the rah-rah mentality of the gang, especially when it's the state and it's got its own flag and all of that good stuff, especially when it's um, in, in that perspective, they can utilize the gang to get things that they want that they couldn't achieve on their own in an individualistic society. And that would be the, one of the knocks against anarcho-capitalistic societies and the fact that, well, hey, there's not going to be a police force. Well, great. There's not going to be any opportunity for corruption in the police force. When we look at things um, from, from that perspective, a gang perspective, there are a lot of cases in, in history, especially in New York City is a prime example, or Chicago is a prime example as well, where the mafia and the police force were in cahoots. Or if you look at, um, if you look at ancient Rome where they used to have, um, where they used to have the idea of, um, of bribes or payoffs for, for the fire department and things like that. Where they would say, okay, well, um, you either pay us you know, the, the money, you pay us what we want, or we're going to burn your business down. And that, happened, that happens time and time again over history. So if you eliminate that portion or the gang mentality, yes, you're going to have to deal with a little bit more crime. Yes, you're going to have to deal with these things. But in the grand scheme of things, think about what this gang of government has brought us. The gang of government brought us the WMDs that killed over a million Iraqis and that also killed you know, thousands of American soldiers and absolutely depleted that country, number one, from their resources, but number two, left them in a horrible situation to where now they can't even have kids that have um, no birth defects. It's a, it's a very, very horrible situation and once again it's from a gang mentality so if we didn't have that big gang of people that's why a central government a big central government is so terrifying is because it's a big gang with everybody interest in keeping the gang going and that's why the founders set up the documents the way they did that's why they set up the articles of confederation the way that they did were in order to pass a tax increase and i know that i say this at nauseum but it's the right thing to do. Conceptually, think about this. In order for the federal government to tax us now, what do they have to do? They just have to pass a law, ratify it, and bada-boom, they're rocking and rolling. They've got our money. Under the Articles of Confederation, that had to be ratified at the state level. Each state got to vote on whether they wanted to pass X, Y, and Z tax increase. Now, once again, do I believe that government and, and taxation is theft and that governments are gangs? Yes, but do I control or do I trust this level of knowledge in this society with having an anarcho-capitalistic um, society? Absolutely not, because there's way too much that can be manipulated. You know, I used to be an anarcho-capitalist voluntarist, and I still am. Philosophically, I think that that would be the best way that you can actually have a society be set up. And once again. A group of collective individuals, not a collective as the, as the neo-left likes to say, but a group of collective individuals, like Robert said, in a smaller setting coming together, and it, it would basically revert us back to those doctrines, those first documents that we had in this nation. So, you know, we're running out of time here, everybody, and, and I know that I didn't get to a lot of news, but I think that this show turned into something that, um, that I was hoping for, and that's a, an overall view of why this is so dangerous. And oh yeah, um, according to Gallup, um, the American public has a 7% approval rating in Congress now, which is, is a historic low. So now we're on the cusp. We've admitted that we have a problem, and now I think the next thing that we need to do is have a debate over what we need to do. And the debate cannot, and in my idea – cannot include um, the idea that we give more power 
to to the federal government to solve our problems because once again as Albert Einstein said you cannot solve a problem in the same in the same mind frame or with the same mentality that the problem was created and this problem was created by big government and by special interest groups so anyway thanks for listening everybody tune in Thursday night nine o'clock right here and uh, thanks for everybody that shared the show remember friend me on Facebook uh, follow me on Twitter we are not cattle the number one check out the YouTube channel we are not cattle TV and uh, we'll see you Thursday night. And thank you, everybody, for sharing the podcast. I got a lot of downloads this week. Getting out. Peace, love, and liberty, everybody. Take care. love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.